Hello and welcome to The Planet Today, where we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. Today's Friday, June 30th, 2023. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host Nick Janusa. Nick, what is going on? Matt, hey, not too much, dude. Hanging out. Uh, last day of June. How about that? Yeah, and I guess by the time this episode drops, I'm I'm in Europe right now, so that's cool. Yeah, I hope you have a fantastic time. I hope you're like absolutely slugging beer. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm landing at 7.50 in the morning, so I probably won't be <laughs> slugging beers right away. Airport beer. Okay, this would be a psychotic move if you stayed in the airport for like a little bit longer and had like a beer right when you got off the plane. That's a psycho move. Yeah. I hope no one has ever done that, but I know there's someone out there who has. Airport beers are a before flight thing for me. Or, you know what? Layover airport beer is the best airport beer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, I think you're a psychopath if you stay in the airport when you willingly can go anywhere within the country. (laughs) (laughs) Literally anywhere else. Yeah, it's a psychopath move. But anyway. So, yeah, as we just mentioned, I am on vacation. If you missed last week's show, uh, at the end of it, we talked about our schedule for the next month, really. So this is our last current events episode until August. Um, We're going to take the month of July off because I'm away in Europe for the first two weeks of the month. Uh, Then we're back for a week, but I'm going to air another interview. And then I am on vacation with my family the last week in July. So we're just going to take the whole month off from TPT. We have four awesome interviews coming out, and I'm really excited for you to hear each one of them. They'll be coming out every Friday in July, so you'll still be getting the same amount of TPT directly to your feed at the same time on the same day that you expect it, then Nick and I will be back in August. But for now, let's do the show. Time for our quick hits for the week. And the first one is by Jan M. Olson of the Associated Press. He writes, climate change leads to growing risk of mosquito-borne viral diseases. EU agency says. So this article is specific to Europe, but it's important to understand what we mean when we talk about climate change increasing the risk of disease for people throughout the world. The European Center for Disease Prevention and Control said that the warming trend in Europe and its associated heat waves, more intense and more frequent flooding, and longer summers are making the continent as a whole more favorable for mosquitoes. More mosquitoes means a higher risk of dengue, yellow fever, chikungunya, Zika, and West Nile viruses. The ECDC's director, Andrea Amon, said that efforts need to focus on controlling mosquito populations and increasing personal protections. These methods include eliminating standing water where mosquitoes breed, using eco-friendly larvicides, and promoting community awareness about mosquito controls. Olson writes, to protect themselves, people can use mosquito bed nets, sleep or rest in screened or air-conditioned rooms, wear clothes that cover most of the body, and then also use mosquito repellent. Yeah, unfortunately, this is going to be something that's kind of unavoidable in the the short and near-term future. So Nick just really highlighted exactly what we need to know as people of the world. Like I said, this is specific to Europe, but like we have mosquitoes here in the States. We have mosquitoes all over. I think Antarctica is the only place that doesn't have mosquitoes. 
That that sounds wrong. That sounds wrong. There's probably mosquitoes <laughs> in like the, there's probably no mosquitoes in like Greenland as well. But anyway, yeah. Um, oh, I was thinking of ants. There's no ants in Antarctica. Ah, that makes sense. Whatever. This was an unnecessary tangent, but we all have mosquitoes <laughs> that are part of our daily our daily lives. So how can we adapt to it? Sleep in like we said, screened in air conditioned rooms that we don't have the windows open and the mosquitoes aren't rushing in. If the windows are open, make sure it's screened in. Wear clothes when you're outside that are going to cover you. If you're going to be in some boggy marshland, that's probably going to be a hot spot for mosquitoes. Yeah. Use that mosquito spray. Make sure that you're not putting yourself in a position where you're more at risk to mosquitoes than you already would be in whatever area you're in. Yeah. I recently looked up like what animal kills um, the most amount of humans per year. And you would be shocked to know that mosquitoes are like really high up there. I can't remember, but I think they were like top five. Um, they're responsible for 700,000 human deaths per year, which is way too many to, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, way too many. And, uh, yeah, so you gotta be, you gotta be conscious of, um, getting any of those nasty diseases that they have. Like we said, you know, wear clothes that cover most of the body. If you know you're going into like a bog, probably smart to put on, you know, the full on LL Bean pants and maybe a nice uh, long sleeve with a vest. Yeah. So um, that was a ridiculous, that was a ridiculous combination of clothes, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds very, very crunchy. So I'm here for it. The other thing that I wanted to point out when we're talking about like how diseases are going to increase as a result of climate change, this is one that we think of, you know, the, the heat, the humidity, that all adds up to mean more mosquitoes. The other thing that we don't really talk about maybe as much on this show, and, and maybe this is something that Nick and I can look into more in the future as, as stories pop up, human-wildlife conflict. Mm -hmm. When we have diseases that live in animals that are able to jump from whatever mammal we're talking about to humans, the more we encroach on wild spaces, the more we get into basically sprawling out our development, the more we're going to come in contact with these animals that typically we, we didn't contact earlier. You know, I'm thinking of bats. Yeah. Bats is a really good example of like, they can carry diseases without being sick themselves. So the more we spread out and the more we develop nature, we're going to come in contact with bats more. And that means we're probably going to see more diseases that can be hosted by bats. Right jump to other mammals like dogs, cats, and then to humans. So climate change, the the loud problem in the room has always been rising sea levels, extreme heat, flooding. The silent killer we're running into is the increased prevalence of disease based on the conditions that the climate is changing. So yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. The, the constant contact with, or the new contact, I should say, with, with animals and species that we're not used to, for sure. All right, let's get into our next story from the Associated Press again. They're killing it this week, where Matthew Brown and Gene Johnson write, freight train carrying hot asphalt, molten sulfur plunges into Yellowstone River as bridge fails. On Saturday, a bridge in Montana crossing the Yellowstone River collapsed and portions of a freight train carrying the hazardous materials that Nick mentioned fell into the river below. Along with the sulfur and asphalt, an Associated Press reporter witnessed a yellow substance leaking from the train cars into the river. 
Officials shut down drinking water intakes downstream while they evaluated the damages and found that there was no immediate danger for the emergency crews working at the site thanks to the river diluting the materials. A spokesperson for Montana Rail Link said that sulfur and asphalt solidify quickly when exposed to cooler temperatures, so that helps with the immediate fallout. Thankfully, no one in the train crew was injured and no other injuries have been reported as a result of this. But residents were asked by local water treatment facilities to conserve water due to a potential hazmat spill. A thorough investigation is being conducted by the Federal Railroad Administration to determine the cause of the bridge failure. A few notes about sulfur. The US EPA says that sulfur is a common element used as a fertilizer as well as an insecticide, fungicide, and rodenticide. Sulfur is naturally occurring and doesn't dissolve in water very well, so this is expected to basically run off into the soils and get back into that naturally occurring sulfur cycle. Asphalt, on the other hand, is not so great. Asphalt fumes and vapor can affect the respiratory system and cause skin irritation, lung irritation, and burns. When asphalt is exposed to sun and water, thousands of potentially toxic compounds can leach into the environment. In this case, we don't have to worry about leaching because it went directly into the water. So there's your uh, whatever the opposite of a silver lining is like that's that's (laughs) bad news that, you know, it's not it's not going to slowly leak. No, it was poured directly into the water. So, yeah, dull gray lining. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this is an unfortunate one. Not great that it's like one of the best parks in the world to have this happen. But yeah, no one was hurt. So that's good. Just got to monitor, you know, and like, and this just goes back to what I brought up with the Norfolk Southern thing. Like, you don't know what's actually happening to your water. So like probably better to just stay away from it completely and buy like bottled. And that's not like normal advice that I give to people. But like in this case, I feel like it's just, it's just needed because you, you just don't know until, you know, the EPA comes out and does another test and they're like, oh yeah, it probably was not great to drink. So yeah, that that's always my advice. Yeah. And I'm thinking right now about like water filters, you know, is a Brita going to remove whatever the damage of, of asphalt is? I don't know. And yeah, I wouldn't think so. I don't think it's designed for that, but yeah, who knows? You know, I, I, I actually, the answer to that is like Brita knows, <laughs> like I'm sure they've done testing on this sort of stuff. Let's look this up. Let's do some live fact checking. <laughs> this is really bad podcasting. <laughs> Basically, what we're trying to get into, and hopefully we were able to trim that clip down so it's not like three minutes of me and Nick searching on Google and, and feeding off each other. Basically, what we're trying to get out of here is <laughs> if you live downstream from a toxic chemical spill and you know about that, it's best to be responsible. So get a filter, boil your water before it goes in the filter. Like try to get all of those toxins out. Yeah. And if you live in an area where that's not possible because you know that the spill is much worse than the situation that I'm calling for is go buy bottled water for the time being, you know, Nick and I are not one to, to advocate for increasing plastics, but people's health is what matters here. Yeah. No question. So this is one of the few times we're going to endorse single-use plastics. Soak it up. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Nick here. Matt and I had to record on Tuesday and woke up to the news that Chicago and the Midwest are experiencing wildfire smoke as a result to the ongoing situation in Canada. We don't have too much to add to that that we didn't already say in our June 16th episode, but our hearts go out to all of those affected. If you want more in-depth coverage for how this is happening, go check out our show from two weeks ago. 
All right, time for this week's environmental policy roundup. This November, voters in Maine will decide whether to remove the state's two electric utilities in favor of a nonprofit public utility known as Pine Tree Power. Existing utilities throughout the U.S. basically operate as monopolies, and many people are frustrated with the lack of aggressive climate agendas, high utility rates, and response to outages, which are increasing due to the climate crisis. Maine residents can expect to see the impact of a multi-million dollar PR campaign aimed at saving the utilities coming up. So we'll have to see what voters say when they go to the polls in November. Canada banned cruise ships from dumping sewage and dirty water close to shore at the risk of heavy fines being placed on ships found violating this new rule. The rules ban the discharge of sewage and so-called gray water, the drainage from sinks, laundry machines, bathtubs and showers, within three nautical miles of Canadian shores. In addition to this rule, ships in non-Arctic waters will have to strengthen the treatments of sewage and gray water dumped between 3 and 12 nautical miles from shore. Arctic waters have their own regulations already, so they're taken care of. Something I want to bring up on the story that I, I had mentioned is I said that utilities basically operate as monopolies, and I didn't really expand on that. My point that I was getting at is like, if you don't like your utility, if you're not happy with, for me, I have Con Edison in New York City, go try to switch it. You can't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like you're you kind of at the mercy of whatever utility is operating in your area. And that goes across so many states in the U.S., if not all of the states where you don't have a say in where you're getting your energy from. Now you can say, I want a portion of this to go to green mountain energy and get my power from renewables and, and, you know, it'll change your bill slightly, but yeah, you can have a say in it, but you can't get a hundred percent of your utility swapped over to a competitor that gives a better rate or more renewables. You know, it's, it's very indicative of where you live. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a good point. And like, I think that's one of the few things left that is like so privatized and like forced upon the consumer. Mm -hmm. The consumer has no say in, in, in what they want. And, uh, yeah, it's, I think that this same thing could happen to, uh, NYSEG in New York. My, my parents are constantly livid with NYSEG. Like every time there's a power outage, it's an immediate discussion. So that's probably a story that every single person listening right now is like, yep, my parents are frustrated with X utility here. Yeah, Michigan power yeah. distributors, yeah. All right, as always, those stories are in your show notes. If you want to go read for more detail, we are going to take a quick break. we got two more stories for you when we get back. Today's episode of The Planet Today is brought to you by Valo Alta. Valo Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT.
Welcome back to the planet today, folks. Next up, a new satellite could help clean up the air in America's most polluted neighborhoods by NPR's Sema Byram and Rebecca Hersher. Millions of Americans live with dangerous air pollution from gases like nitrogen oxide, sulfur dioxide, and ground-level ozone, and also tiny particulate matter that lives on surfaces. The authors of this article write that the exposure to air pollution can cause some cancers and respiratory and cardiovascular diseases and leads people to live shorter, sicker lives. A new satellite instrument called Tempo is about to upgrade the data surrounding air pollution by offering near-continuous air pollution information across the country. Tempo stands for Tropospheric Emissions, Monitoring of Pollution, and is a collaborative project from NASA, NOAA, and the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory. Tempo aims to provide the data necessary to reduce air pollution and better forecast local air quality. This can be applied to environmental justice when considering how the most polluted places in the U.S. at the passage of the Clean Air Act are still the most polluted today. These include Southern California, Southeast Texas, and industrial sections of the Midwest and Northeast. These areas are typically poor communities and communities of color, and the people there face disproportionate challenges from air pollution. This article goes into detail about Curtis Bay, Maryland, and it's a familiar story about residents fighting for cleaner air in the face of high industrial emissions, steady traffic and tailpipe emissions, and essentially the lingering effects of government redlining from a century ago. The data from Tempo can help fill in the gaps for Curtis Bay residents and for residents around the U.S. who are fighting for cleaner air by basically providing urban planners or just any sort of local decision maker with all of the tools that they need to go out and fight for their citizens. Yeah, this is uh, this is super important. And like, especially coming off of the wildfire smoke that we were experiencing all across the, basically the Northeast to have air quality indexes that are actually true and right. Like I could even tell that it wasn't right um, recently because like I would look outside and it was like super smoggy and super like foggy and he'd be like, you're good. Go out. Get Moderate some exercise air quality. In. Yeah. Like go ahead. You're good to go. As long as you don't have like a super sensitive, <laughs> you know, uh, immune system, you're good to go. Um, and I was like, I'm not going outside. Like I had headaches. I, I think I said this on the podcast. I had headaches like all week. Yeah. Um, and, and they were like, yeah, you're good. It's, it's only moderate or it's, it's like, they would even say good, like green or anything under 50, I think is like considered good. So this is definitely really important and especially important in the poor communities and uh, community communities of colors, like you said, that are adversely affected by air pollution and uh, have a bunch of other factors in that air, in their areas that are, that are contributing to that. Yeah. And I think the, the thing for me that's very exciting here is I'm just kind of a data junkie when it comes to this sort of stuff. Like I love when we can fill in gaps and, and that's what this is going to do. It's basically going to provide an overhead aerial image of what the air quality looks like in any given area in the U.S. Yeah. So right now, the, the reasons you're talking about, like it's not like it's bad data that's saying, hey, Nick, the air by you is good. You're good. It's a gap in the data. It's, it's that yeah, we yeah, don't yeah. have the right information. This information can be used for people like me who just want to see oh, that's cool that the air quality where I live is this. Let me go look at this aerial image to see where else in the U.S. it's like this. I I love that sort of stuff. It's good for people like you who you just mentioned where you want to go exercise outside. Yeah. Oh, let me check and make sure 
it's safe to do that. It's also really good for legislators because, hey, if you are consistently seeing that your air quality is lower than the neighborhoods surrounding you, why is that? Yeah. You know, like what what are the conditions that have enabled the air quality around you to get so poor? It's probably tailpipe emissions. You know, a, a lot of poor neighborhoods have had highways paved through them. So they're experiencing way more cars with way more emissions driving through every single day. Or they're centered around industrial plants. So there's these emissions from burning. There's emissions from steel manufacturing around the neighborhoods where people live. And who's going to want to live there? Not many people. So who's going to live there? The people who can't afford to live elsewhere. Yeah. So that's how we kind of just reinforce through policy and through economic conditions that disenfranchised people, traditionally people of color, traditionally poor, lower income communities remain that way. I think that tempo is going to be a tool that can be used to reverse that trend and say, hey, this neighborhood's air quality needs to get fixed. Here's what it looks like daily. And here's the neighborhood surrounding it. What do we have to do? So I'm really, really excited to see what kind of good news can come out of this. And more good news is that the EPA called tempo a big step forward and is working on a way to incorporate this data into all EPA decisions. Yeah, it's great news. All right, our last quick hit of the week is titled Tiny Bundles of Hope, Critically Endangered Turtles Hatch in Myanmar by Delgar Erdinasana of the New York Times. This is another, you should really go check out this article for the pictures, if nothing else, story that we're going to close out today's episode with. <laughs> Burmese peacock softshell turtles hatched around Myanmar's largest lake recently, and humans were there to witness the birth for maybe the first time ever. The hatchlings began crawling to Indagi Lake, and a team from the international wildlife charity Fauna and Flora was there to take pictures. These turtles are critically endangered and are endemic to Myanmar, meaning that this is the only place that they live in the entire world. They have black and orange spots on their shells, which are similar to peacock feathers. So that's kind of where they get their name from. Scientists don't know much about the species because proper studies have not been done previously. But finding the eggs and hatchlings provides some hope for the future of the species. Yeah, so the early success that they found in finding this species has been attributed to people who live in the villages around Indagi Lake, which was designated a UNESCO Biosphere Reserve in 2017 due to its importance to local animals and also to migratory birds that stop by the lake. Protecting the hatchlings and their habitat is important because few turtles survive to adulthood. Once they get into adulthood... They're pretty much immune to predators because they have a great shell on their back that protects them from predators. Yes. So getting more turtles, especially endangered turtles like this Burmese peacock softshell turtle to adulthood is so critical for the long term survival of the species. You know, hatchlings aren't going to produce more adults will. Yeah, absolutely. And you're so right when you say just go check out like the videos and stuff and the pictures. It was so damn cute. Like they are, yeah. there was one specific one that was like Lightning McQueen. Like he was the fastest turtle I've ever seen in my whole life. He was, he was like, <laughs> like sprinting on the beach. It was so cool. Um, and yeah, just, just really, really cool animals. And um, their shells really do look like a peacock. Like they have like four separate spots that are like, yeah, like the, like uh, the fake eyes of a peacock. It's really, really cool. Yeah. It was really interesting because I had never heard of these and 
you know, I, I think part of that is like the article points out, just hasn't been a lot of studies on this population because we haven't seen much of them. So it's, it's really yeah. cool to see, you know, relying on the people that know the, the environment best, relying on those people who have lived there for decades or centuries. Those are the people who are going to know, oh yeah, you know, we, we do see these hatchlings walk this way every year around this time. Yeah. So tapping into the local people in the villages around the lake and saying, Hey, let's work together on, on studying the species and how we can protect it. Really awesome work. Really cool job that the scientists there are, are doing with this. And, you know, hopefully this discovery leads to a strong repopulation effort. Yeah, absolutely. These, these, these turtles are 100% worth it. They're really, really cool. All right. That'll do it for today's episode of TPT. We will be back next Friday for our first interview of July. And it's going to be with Dr. Doug Tallamy from my alma mater, the University of Delaware, to talk about his new book. Woo! Until then, please go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can and follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. Nick Janusa produces our show and makes all the music you hear throughout. Nick, where can people bump your tunes all July long? They can bump them at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, y'all. Our logo is made by Kaylee Veet. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here next Friday. Peace.